We're rolling. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome to Missing Out. I am Tari J. Miller. I am Lex Michael. And today we're joined by a special guest, James Lott Jr. That's me. Lasers, lasers, explosions. Explosions. My car is on fire. My car is on fire. Yes. Only way to introduce someone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that fanfare, I love it Yeah, um, if this is your first time listening What we do here is we introduce each other to different media Whether it be music, m- television, music, uh, other forms <laughs> you of music twice? <laughs> yes, so only music and television Music is important <laughs> Only music and television and uh, Just art, guys well, We, so we introduce just, different uh, pieces uh, of uh, art uh, to each uh, other Sorry, why, why do we do this? <laughs> Uh, he doesn't know. No, he doesn't we know. do this because we have had different experience. Everyone's <laughs> yes. had different experiences growing up. Yes. And it's nice to get a perspective that is not your own. And so we share this with each other and we also share it with you, the people. Uh, right. It's we, a retrospective we, that's introspective. Yes. There we go. We, t- we talk a lot okay. about, right? Like we hear movies being referred to as empathy machines. And I feel like we agree that this, this uh, general ethos can be extended to apply to just about any piece of art. And it's a really great way to connect and to share parts of yourself tari like you were you were saying and so that's yeah that's what we do here yeah that's what we like so we like to I do like that that's the thing it's the thing that we enjoy it is yeah. and it's a it's it's a new year and we're doing new things uh so james has brought in the works of gil scott heron uh which is our first spoken word slash poetry uh which is really exciting yes um i've been uh really i guess geeked out on this since uh, Lex had mentioned that you wanted to do it in December, um, and so I thought this would be a good time, just a good way to start the year. I think so, too. Yes. Um, so tell us how you got into Gil Scott. Um, he was kind of a mild hero to my community here in Los Angeles. Um, I have uncles who are in the drumming circles of Lamert Park, which is the African-American center of Los Angeles. Uh, I live not far from that. I live in Inglewood. Um, and his music was introduced to me through them. My parents loved them when I was a kid. I remember hearing their stuff and hearing his stuff, and uh, it really I connected with it. He was saying stuff at the time, and sadly, 40 years later, still mm-hmm. applies, um, and I really connected with it as a young African-American. He was saying things in a way, especially it wasn't music. I mean, it was music, but it wasn't singing. This was pre-rap. He's considered the godfather of rap. Because there was no rap at the time. Can you right, imagine he's, that? He's uh, one of, I think, two people that's credited with being like one of, if not the first, like ed- MC, like mm-hmm. as we understand the concept today. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, he was taking his talking and putting it to some music. Yes. So to give the audience a little bit of context, in case they haven't heard of him, mm-hmm. uh, he is this poet who was. Uh, he grew up in kind of Jim Crow era Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, lived through all of the civil rights movement, yes. um, and he was heavily inspired by uh, John Coltrane mm-hmm. and wanted to fuse what John Coltrane was doing and kind of his own voice and found a way to do that through his music slash spoken word. And his voice is what 
attracted me also. Just the way he spoke. May he, may he rest in peace. He's no longer with us. Um, but he was somebody, I heard his voice as a kid. It just command, like I had to go to it. I had to like, go towards the light. The sound of it. I was thinking about that too as I went back. You, you gave us a couple recommendations because my knowledge of Gil Scott's work was pretty broad. Like I was aware of The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Yes, that's a famous. And now, which by the way, like they, they dropped that really cool remixed version of it yes. into the Black Panther trailer, which I thought <laughs> yes, was pretty they, dope. Yes, they did. I was so happy. I was so happy. Yes. Um, but I was familiar with that one, but I went back and I listened to more of uh, Pieces of a Man, which I believe is the yes. album they pulled that from. And then also you recommended I'm New Here. Mm-hmm. Which which he put out in 2010. He passed away in 2011, I believe. And listening to the progression, not just in his sensibility, but also specifically in the sound of his voice that you're referring to and how like, how like deep and bassy yes. but smooth it is when yes. he's it, when he's younger, and then when he gets older, it feels like almost like um like later era Johnny Cash stuff, yes. uh, where That's it's the same example. it's the same like depth to it, but also it feels like. Almost like uh, Atari, we talked about Tom Waits at one point, oh, yeah, and how yes. Tom Waits' voice feels a little bit like uh, you you soaked it in bourbon and like you ran it over a bed of hot nails and you left it in the sun. <laughs> That's an image for like for like a week. <laughs> so it's like that layered on top of this same like deep, like almost like you want to just sit inside it and like his voice is a box. And I you wanna, just want to. I have to interrupt you for a second because. What you just said is why I love that later album. Because he had been in jail for years. <clears throat> he had a lot of problems in real life uh, that he acknowledged in his, in his works. Um, and I was a big fan of Johnny Cash's work with Rick Rubin later, when he, later on in, in his last his career. And exactly, the voice got gravel. Yeah. It's like gravel. It's like he, he lived life. Just like Johnny Cash had lived some life, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And so the later, with the I'm New Here album, which is kind of funny because he's, he's basically introducing himself to us, even though he's not really new, but he's new in a sense to a new generation. His voice was, I lived some life. It carries the weight of all of those yes, years. You can hear it. Even so, if you know yes. nothing about him, it's like you can feel the yes. weight of that in his voice. Yes. Yeah. And so he said, Johnny Cat, that was my connection to you because those last couple albums that he did with uh, Rick Rubin. Like the American like, recording stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, to me, I always say Hurt is his song. I know Trent Reznor, and even he, he said it's his song now. When you hear him do that song, it's literally Johnny Cash's song. Oh yeah, at this point. Yeah, I mean now it's his. So I mean, I, I, that's but that's exactly how I feel about Gil Scott Heron's later work. Yeah, um, and so so you basically grew up listening. So I grew up. So he was played in our house a lot. So my parents went and saw him live all the time. He was always playing around town here in Los Angeles. Um, and a lot of smaller venues, larger venues. He started doing stuff with Brian Jackson, who was a musician. So that's where the John Coltrane stuff comes in, and he started putting more music to the stuff. But he still was a spoken word artist. He didn't sing, but he had a few sing-songy uh, poetry, which mm-hmm. I do a few too a little bit, because I do sing, but I don't really sing on that. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing. It's just like he was just using his voice just as a – he was very pro-African-American. Mm-hmm. And pro like, and back then it was a hard time for us because I grew up. I was born in the civil rights movement, and I was raised where we had desegregation, where I was going to all white schools, being bussed out there, and so he spoke to all of that, and it just it just really spoke to us. So growing up, we had that everything I was experiencing, he was speaking to it as mm-hmm. I was growing up. Interesting. It's it's crazy to me. You mentioned earlier how a lot of the stuff that he was talking about is still pretty active now like even like you say you were busting to desert like i i being uh i don't know let's say i'm 10 years younger than you yeah, probably, yeah. um was also bust into my schools even though like we went to school at different times 
um, just because desegregation is a, a thing that still has to happen now because there's like they're always finding new ways to do it. Yes. I have no problem. I'm, I'm, I'll be close to 50 years old in another year or so. And I grew up in the 70s, which was a very amazing time for artistry. Yeah. And actually, we're finally coming back to that a little bit now. But back then, I mean, singers, actors, television, everything was speaking to the current situation. Mm-hmm. Right. And I went to people all the time out there. You know, you forget there was no rap. There was no rap yet. Right. We had Rapper's Delight in 1979. That was kind of a fun little disco rapping thing. <laughs> but there was no rap yet. And, and him and a few others were speaking in this way that was like, they were just talking to us. Gil's got here and talked to you. Mm. Said, here's my experience. Maybe you're experiencing it too. Let's experience it. Let's talk about it together. And that's why I like his stuff. Because even though some of the stuff, it was mostly very kind of positive stuff. It was just kind of like, this is what's happening. We got to get out of this. Or we have to move towards this. Yeah. And that's what I like about his. It was all just like this negative Poor me, poor us. Yeah, a lot happening. of what I what I sampled from from his earlier stuff, like his earlier uh, uh, popular stuff. Yes. The tone of it was all very yeah, it was all very much about directly addressing mm-hmm. the real shit. But yeah, never in a way, never in a like a despondent or like doom and gloom or right. fatalistic way at all. It, as like the most intense it got, even like using the revolution will not be televised yes. as an example. Yes. It was not this bad stuff's coming for us and it's going to beat us all down and we're going to lose. It's not even that's going to happen unless it's just a statement of guys, this is real. You can't ignore it. You can try to ignore it, but it's, it's not going to work that way. This isn't going to be some abstract concept that you see on the television. This is real. This is present. This is now, and you can run from it as much as you want to, but you can't. He's very observational. And that's what I love in comedians. What I love in songwriters. And I love that in him. He was very, and, and a lot of the early rappers were the same way as Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, KRS One. A lot of them, they were they were observational rappers. Mm-hmm. They talked about what was happening in the neighborhood at the time, and telling people out there who are not from the neighborhood, this is what's happening over here in New York, or this is what's happening over here in Philadelphia, this is what's happening over here, and go, oh, you get a clear picture. He gives you clear pictures. Mm-hmm. Gil yeah. Scott Heron gives you clear pictures on things. Yeah. Yes. Was this the first time that someone spoke to you, not like like outside of your own bubble, like a piece of art really connected with you? Yes. Well, I grew up I grew up in a multicultural household, multicultural family. I come from a multicultural family. Um, and so I had Spanish influence, you know, Puerto Rican influence. But this was the first black person, mm. black male, that I can think of. So I think back right now, I think he has the first black male Besides George Jefferson, <laughs> that affected me in a way, and it's and it's funny, it's because it's, it's okay, let me explain it this way: seeing George Jefferson on television. You have to remind you, this is the early mid seventies. I was a kid. This was going to be my next question. Say, okay, so what see, about George Jefferson? Yes, to see this black man who was just as racist as Archie Bunker and all my all my on the family, it was equal opportunity. But see this black man who was rich. Mm-hmm. Just seeing that on television, being proud that he was rich, mm-hmm. and he was black. He wasn't. I mean, he's a little lighter skin, but he was black. Yeah. Like I saw a black man being rich. You know, it was a comedic tone. Some of the stuff was really serious on the show, but it was like he just seeing him on screen be this proud black man doing that walk that he used to always do with his hands behind his back, mm-hmm. and just and he's just a little short thing, but he was so proud of being black and rich. We didn't see that yet. Mm-hmm. And to see, and, and Gil Scott was the first black man that I heard intelligently, but in our own language, explain the situation. 
And I was like, oh, he could, he's, he's black, he's smart, but he's also street. He's both. Like, you can be smart. Like, we know that now you could do that, but back then we did, it was always like, there are bad guys, there are good guys. Or right. There's no, yeah. no, it's like, or you have to be really dumb when you talk street. No, this, he was the first black man that showed me, you have, you have to be elegant to be eloquent. Huh. Oh, that's very well put. Yeah, seriously. Damn. So he was the first. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. So both those those two for me were like, wow, this had hear those two see to see him on TV, to hear him on record, that changed my life. Yeah. And that also inspired you to write your own poetry. Yeah, well, at first I started doing journaling. Oh really? So I have journals from nineteen eighty to two thousand and one. Uh-huh. We have a big giant box. And I just started journaling my life. Just everything that happened? Everything that happened. Just the, basically like free thought, just anything, anything that went on, just entered your brain. You anything. just put it down. Yep. So I have journals. So he got me to, he got me to kind of write mm-hmm. and I kind of journal. I didn't know what I was going to do with it yet, but I was like, I'm going to write it all out. I always wanted to be a writer. You know, now I am a published author, but I always want to be a writer. And I thought, well, someday I'll do something with this and I'll make it work. But I didn't know what it was yet. I didn't know what it was going to do yet. But he got, he got me to writing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific moments where like, his writing connected to your own and kind of pushed you to the next level? Yes. Well, um, one of the things that came out of that, um, the second book I ever published, it was my James Lott Jr.'s Untitled Book of Poetry. It is my second biggest seller. It was my first biggest seller until I released a book last month that's big. But this was my second biggest seller. And people of all races are commenting on it, reviewing it on Amazon, telling me personally how much the, this this book has like meant to them how they related to it it's really weird because i wrote it as a year of my life in 2016 mm-hmm. and so and that included a lot of things were happening in 2016 if you don't remember let me refresh your memory a little bit uh, a lot of black men were being killed mm-hmm. on camera yep yeah and i was very angry yeah about it mm-hmm. plus i lost my brother that year and so i was very sad about that and the relationship had ended that year so i had a lot of things happening that year um, and so, but I knew what Gil Scott Heron stuff, I could write this because he wrote about it. He talks about his family, talks about his relationships, talks about his battles with alcohol and drugs. And, and, and I was like, and listening to I'm New Here, he had a song called Running. Yeah. So it inspired this, one of my poems that people love in this book. I'm going to do it for you guys. Do it. Yes. Do. Yes. Yes. It's called, it's, this directly came from listening to Running on, on re, auto repeat all day long. And this came out. It's called Scared. It's scary out there. I don't want to leave my house sometimes. It's scary in here. I'm not always safe in my own house. It's scary over there. I see so much on the news, on TV, and on social media. It's scary over here. There are things I witness all the time in my own backyard, my street, my community. It was scary. I remember how it was growing up and how dangerous it seemed. It is scary. I see how dangerous it is still, and that really scares me. It will be scary. If things don't change, then it will be scarier, and that scares me the most. I will do what I can to help make this world less scary, and if we all do that, then we will have a chance not to be scared anymore. Wow. Nice. And that came directly, that came out of my listening to his songs, and my, plus my feelings of black men being killed. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, it connects with me in that, like, I remember very distinctly, um, it was one of the main cases where the cop got off after shooting uh, someone, and I was, like, sitting there, and I, I called up my friend, 
And I, the only thing that I could say is that someone, I, I guess it, it struck me that someone could get murdered and, and nothing, there are no consequences from it. Um, and it's and, documented. Like we know, there's no question. Yes, we know right, for a right, fact this is what happened right, and right. nothing is being done. Um, and it, it did like kind of open up this, this very scary world that I had not really thought about for a long time. Like there, you know, there's always, oh, you know, you can go to jail at any time, which is bad. You can, you know, people can harass you at any time. But this, this idea that you can be, you can be gunned down at any moment by the quote unquote good guys and nothing will come of it. Um, it like was very striking. And I, that like hit me as you were reading oh, it. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. And the other thing too is, I mean, what you, what you wrote there, I, I, dude, I dug that a lot. Um, it's about, it's about a feeling, right? So like your feeling is tied to a very specific set of things that you perceived, but that feeling, even without being tied to anything specific, I think that, I mean, that feeling like the, the familiar is, is somehow frightening something. It's like the, the world is your world, but something is wrong. Something is off. Something's not where it's supposed to be. And it creates this profound found sense of dread that I am super familiar with the fact like being your own your own home feeling scary this notion that something's got to get to the 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 part about um you know nothing changes it it's going to stay the way it is that's scarier Mm -hmm. that's so much scarier than trying to like get out there and push for something positive and that too I think that that maybe is part of why so many people across so many different uh, uh, you know, so many different walks of life are able to connect with it because you took this really incredible, powerful feeling you were having, uh, born of something specific or a couple specific things, and people are able to take that incredibly specific feeling because you haven't, in the text, cemented it as tied to one thing. They can take it and apply it to just about mm-hmm. just about anything. Yeah, dude. Thank ooh. you. I'm gonna like walk around with that. Li- like I'm gonna be sitting <laughs> on my couch later, and I'm gonna remember that part about like your own home feeling frightening, and I'm gonna go. <gasps> It's, it's crazy. And I and I have a few more in here. I may read maybe another one a little later, another one. Um, but for me, I want to share a personal story uh, just two years ago. I actually, before, before I wrote this, it probably influenced it also. I was shopping in West Hollywood at a 7-Eleven on Santa Monica Boulevard with my white friend. His name is Mark. And we're in there. And all of a sudden, a SWAT team comes in and tells me to put my hands up and points rifles at me in my back and puts me against... The, um, the 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 uh, refrigerators where all the food and all the cold food is in. Mind you, there were I was the only person of color in the store. My white friends right next to me. They don't tell them to do the same thing. Um, and they're screaming at me and they're searching the store. I have I have guns in my back. I'm in the little, now, now mind you, I'm in my forties. I'm dressed like a you know regular guy. You know, that's all the time. That whole myth of like I'm not wearing you know a hoodie or anything. Like it's like, ain't crazy. Um, and I was scared for my life. And afterwards, they realized, oh, nothing's here. We're fine. And they don't say, we're sorry. They don't apologize to me. They scream at me saying, we saw you outside. We were telling you to turn around. You wouldn't turn around. Like, just, I had no, I wasn't paying attention to them. Um, what happened was a silent alarm went off, which happens sometimes when you're defective in stores. And it went off, but, but, t- but they didn't tell everybody to get against the wall. So you come to your own conclusion about that. Mm. 
Your friend Mark played a prank on you. Yeah, exactly. And he played a prank <laughs> on me. And I was like, Mark, it's so funny. Very oh, well my connected. God. Really. I was like, oh, it's so crazy. Very elaborate practical um, joke. And Yikes. so my friend Mark was a witness to this. So he tells me, well, I've seen, now I've actually seen. It was a, a lesson for him. Yeah. And he was like, I, now I saw my black friend being was black. Mm-hmm. Like he saw it. He goes, you're actually, I saw you being black. And it's weird, and it's weird uh, sense of, of way of how they look at you. And that yeah. is a really interesting way to put it as well. And that's a way I think I think uh, white people have have the the privilege is the word that we keep hearing, but the privilege of not having to think about things in those terms, and because they don't have to, that we don't have to think about things so consciously in those terms. A lot of us white folks still, unfortunately, somehow have not had that moment of realization where it's like, oh no, this is. This is what it is. These aren't just stories. These aren't just anecdotes. It's nope. not just people being agitated, making right. things up. Right. These. This is real. These things are really happening, and it's so it's so disheartening to me that we are still at that point in the conversation. We haven't even progressed past. Nope. Everybody understands that this is a nope. thing. Forget getting on the same page about how to address it. Right. We're not even all in agreement. This is happening, and I like. I, I never know. I never know how to respond in these conversations yeah. because like you guys have been watching me as we're talking about this. I'm sitting here and I'm just <laughs> looking at the table going like, <laughs> uh, like, what do I, what do I, I guess, I don't know. What do I do? Right. Well, like, here's the, here's the start. Art like yeah. this can make a difference because maybe somebody who listens to this was like, oh my God, what he just said was really interesting. I, I, I like to, I want to express myself too. Like you never know how you pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, art, like spoken word, rap, you know, spoken word, poetry, rap, music, singing, just writing, story writing, storytelling, TV, radio, podcast, you never know. That's where, to me, that's where it can start now. Yeah. I mean, we talk constantly about empathy and about how like the empathy generated from art and how art will resonate with different people and how you can share it with each other and how that creates a bridge where maybe there there wasn't one previously like I think that's a big part of why we do this show mm-hmm. in the first place and most of my you know I've never had a, a for example I've never had a, a big travel budget I don't get to go and see <laughs> yeah. I don't get to go and see too many exotic locations I don't get to see too many you know I can I can drive to wherever I want in the greater LA area but I don't see too many life experiences that are outside of my own experience by orders of magnitudes if not through art and when I experience other ways of thinking other ways of being uh through art no is it the same as going and living it all firsthand of course not but it it really is truly the next best thing and it can give you a deeper appreciation for thoughts, for ways of being, for the way that different people are different and how fantastic that is and how that's not something to be uh, terrified of or to reject. That's something to run towards and embrace wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, I agree with you completely. I think, I think art, even even if you're not making your own art, just sharing art that affects yes, you with I other agree. people, yes. I think is such a great way to start opening different types of conversations if people are ready to have them. Well, it's funny. Gil Scott Heron, what he did for me also, and a few others, um, Earth, Wind, and Fire was another group. Uh, my first concert ever was Earth, Wind, and Fire, 1976. Um, and the imagery they had on their concerts, um, it was all Egyptian art. Hmm. They all had afros. Of course, we all had afros back then, um, which, was a, which was a big, I mean, it's funny because that was such a statement to have an afro, to have a fro um, back then. Now people have fros they want to have them or not have them. But back then, it was a statement to have a fro. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I was to go to a concert and as a kid again as a kid seeing 
these black men up there who are all super talented, Philip Bailey and all them super talented, with froze and Egyptian are talking about how Africa is in Egypt. Like I had no idea it was Africa was in Egypt until I started seeing the stuff and I'm wearing a shirt right now that has it on there too. Um, Cause there was a lot of misinformation given to us in school <laughs> back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and imagine. I'm, yeah. Imagine that. Uh, and so with Gil Scott Heron and him and seeing that. So now when I travel, I deliberately went to certain islands in the Caribbean because of their work, the experience to see the points of entry for slavery, um, to see the, the ports of call where my ancestry was brought in as cattle, basically, mm-hmm. and to see the see the, the places that are housed, where they say this is not your name anymore, to see the the, the the rosters of you know Negro, good teeth, strong arms. I mean, like we're reduced to parts. Uh, I cried like a baby. Every place I went to, I cried and I just like I like sobbed like a baby there because it was just like wow. I heard about it. I yeah. saw Roots. I <laughs> did all that, um, but I never really got it. I mean, besides being in the South, if anybody ever goes to the South, anywhere in the South, you'll see pieces of it here. Mm-hmm. But to go to the Caribbean, that's where it started. We were mm-hmm. traded for sugarcane and cinnamon and bananas. Yeah, uh, and, we, and we still to this day we use we use far more cutesy terms like the triangle trade yes, exactly, to, yes, to like exactly. to f- what feel better about it so <laughs> we could so we could talk about it real broadly without right. actually talking exactly. about how horrific the entire thing exactly. was. Yeah. So, but that inspired my writing too. I wrote a lot of poetry, uh, being in the Dominican Republic, being in the Dutch West and West, the Dutch Antilles and the West Indies. Um, being going down to Curacao, seeing, seeing where they were bringing them in, the southern part and the northern part of the Caribbean, being in Puerto Rico, being in, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's being in St. Thomas. It's just very interesting because the Caribbean is so brown because they're still, they're still there. They're all, they're brown, yeah. but mixed with Spanish. You know, I'm part Puerto Rican. That's how that works. Um, the Afro influence. So Gil Scott's, you know, writing and stuff got me to go to places to be immersed. Like you just said earlier, I mean, I know what it was like, obviously, but to be in the presence of that, to see it, it inspired. I mean, I wrote. I mean, I wrote. I paint. I also paint. Also, I painted a lot of stuff because I was just like it inspired me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, kind of going back to the idea of that of misinformation, and also tying it into Gil Scott. Like he wrote the uh, history. I believe was the name of it, mm-hmm. which was talking about the European perspective on slave on on the slave trade and things of that sort. How essentially. The idea that we're fed is that they came in and took these savages and and brought them in, even though they had all these hyper advanced ways of living, uh, yeah. and they were just different. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, mm-hmm. which was a big issue still today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then kind of going into that and how you never really get a sense of how I guess terrifying and and dark the the being in the slave trade and being a slave was in that like every time they're trying to portray it it's very it's toned down it's like yeah you know it was just commerce yeah it's like we might as well might have been walkmans or like dvd players <laughs> right well you know it's funny because he talks about also his work in the 70s um talks about johannesburg in south africa mm-hmm. apartheid was really big back then also it was big business which is a similar thing and um and so i mean he was he brought worldview to us african-americans in Lamert park and in los angeles that again, we couldn't travel to South Africa. Many of us couldn't do that, uh, or places. But there was problems with 
people of color all over the place. And he was showing that to us and saying, it still relates. Mm-hmm. It connects. He was trying to connect us with that. And I love that because that's, that's, that's what I do every day in all my work. I try to connect people with different parts of the world together. Mm, yeah. Um, but like songs like Message in a Bottle and Johannesburg and all those, they were talking about the plight that was going on there as if it was still just as important as our plight here. Like, it's like if you, don't look, if you don't look at what's going on there, it can easily keep happening here too. Mm-hmm. We got to keep our eyes open to the world. Yeah. That's what I love about him. He has a world view. We I mean, was way before the whole, you know, what think globally, act, like locally think globally kind of thing. He was like, he was doing that already yeah. in his work. Because it's very easy to get lost in your own bubble, especially like living in the hood. Like that's the world that you know. Yes. Like within a certain number of square blocks, like that's your whole world, you know? And so mm-hmm. for someone to kind of go beyond that and go, hey, you're going through this. Other people all over the world are going through that. It also helps you to realize that there is this big world outside that's not just like clusters of black folks just doing their own mm-hmm. thing. It's that like everyone everywhere is, is uh, you know, going through some kind of struggle that you relate to. And so the way to help them is to help yourself and then move forward and help mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's just very important to remember that you know, while what's going on in your community is very important, you should always be, and I say for any race, should always be important, you should always be involved in your community, whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a worldview, and there are folks who, you know, maybe less fortunate or have less advantage than we do. Even some of us have more advantage than other people in other countries. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell black folks, like, someone's, we're living a little better still than people in, go to the Congo, you know, go to Rwanda, you know, go to a place like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you'll see how hard you'll have it. Um, not saying that what you're good. Everything's relative, of course, but right. in some ways we have privilege too. So why not use our privilege? And if we can write poetry or do music or do TV or movies, why not do it? Web series, whatever it is, why not shine? If you have that passion for it, shine a light on it. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes. And this is only because uh, you're older. Yeah, please. I'm older. That's it, please. Um, so something we've talked about on this show is how progress itself is kind of a slow moving wheel. Um, and we already talked a little bit about how like these are still relevant. And so there was uh, a poem that hit me really specifically, which was B movie, which was about uh, it was during the Reagan uh, era right where on. everyone was fixated on nostalgia and they were it's funny how that comes in cycles yeah. too. Yeah. Like every 20 to 30 years we get this nostalgia bomb. Yes, yeah. it does happen. Uh, yes. And it led that whole craze led to the election of an actor becoming president of the United States. Um, <laughs> I remember that. So oh, like, dear, it's, it's, a, there are lots of big cycles in history. What is this? Um, and, <laughs> And I just, I have my, like, I, I've only lived through my perspective of it. I was, I was, you know, I was born in the midst of that whole era. Um, But like you grew up going from like the Jim Crow era to now Mm -hmm. where things are better, but they're not the best they can be. Um, So like, what is it like from your perspective, kind of seeing how slowly progress is made? Um, I always say this, and it's not really excuses. It is we're a young country, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that we're a young country. So for me, literally, just a half a century ago, I was born, and so it's the rights movement. It hasn't been that long, mm-hmm. you know. In a weird, in, a, in the larger scheme of life, it was and a time, second ago. Is that exactly? Yeah. 
So I see it. I so I understand it from both sides of how it's taking so long, but in some ways, it's we're not long enough yet. That's why. Yeah, we have to undo hundreds of hundreds of years of conditioning and things put in place um, and stuff and history and misinformation that's out there. We have to undo it. We're talking generations of generations. Yeah. Uh, From from my mother. To me, to my, I have grandkids. So to me, to my grandkids, that's five generations. But we're all pretty young. We all hate. We all had each young. So it's we're still talking another seventy years. Yeah. Total. Think about it all together. Seventy, maybe eighty years. It's still not really a long time in the time of life. So in some ways, because I've lived through it, I'm very excited how far we've come. Yeah. Because there are things that I experienced in the eighties. I my first. The first person I had, I had the first, excuse me, good word, the first election I was going to participate in was when we elected H.W. Uh, Bush. Okay. That election. That was the first one that I was. Dukakis was the, was the other guy. And I was like, oh my God, Dukakis, he's Greek. Um, he's ethnic. <laughs> we'll vote for him. Um, but no, it's, it was like, it was, it was the first election for me. I was 18. That was the first election for me. Um, so to go from that to the latest election, um, I've seen this progression where, we had good years with Clinton, then we had bad years with Bush. We had good years with all. I, mean, I, I see how people think. Yeah, because I've been around long enough. I just I've seen how mentalities go. I never believe we're a post-racial. Mm-mm. That just you know Obama got. I never thought I'd see a, a black president ever in my entire lifetime. So I was shocked when that happened. Yeah, but again, it's progress. So I've seen bits of progress. I go, okay, that's good, and that kind of makes sense because we're kind of getting there. But the other stuff, it's going to take. I I'm not surprised it's taking so long. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm not surprised. I mean, we have, we have to undo a lot of generational stuff. Yeah, so. it's interesting uh, coming from a different perspective. Just because I did the community that I grew up in was pretty. It was, it was pretty white. Homogenized. It was pretty white, you guys. Creamy and it wasn't white. like you know, it was white, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, we we weren't. We weren't rich, but we were we were decently we were comfortable. You know what I mean? So like we were it was it was a bubble for all intents and purposes. So coming out of that bubble at a certain age and entering into the world and then being hit with all of this these additional perspectives, this new information, and then trying to make sense of it, trying to contextualize it for myself without without being the person that asks this ceaseless uh, uh, <laughs> series of just really ignorant questions. Just like trying to contextualize all of it for myself the best way I'm able to. And for a little while, it looked like, oh, okay. It's almost like, uh, I think, Tari, we've talked about this, how like progress almost feels like the myth of Sisyphus, where it's like you're pushing the boulder up, but oh, then yeah. every so mm. often, it's like there'll be a backlash. People yes. react viscerally to it, and that boulder yes. will roll back a little bit, and then yeah. you just keep pushing. But no, now I feel more like it's less that certain things are happening as a backlash to progress and more like, oh, no, this this is always maybe a clumsy way to phrase it. This is just always how it's been. This never never stopped. This never stopped. And it it took it took. I think it took the election of Barack Obama as president, this moment where so many people, and shit, like, I was one of those people going, oh, this is amazing. We <laughs> did it. This is so cool. The we, what we. we did the American people, I guess, is yes, what I meant at the yes, time. Yes. Uh, this is this is incredible. This is this is a historic day. We did something truly significantly monumentally important. And I think he's easily the best person for this particular job at this particular mm-hmm. time. And then what you see as a direct result of yes. that is not is not all this stuff that exists only as a response to that, 
but all of this stuff that was there the entire time you said it perfectly just weren't talking about and now it's like it's um, especially now in the last year with without taking it all the way in that direction with what's happened with that office since yes it's like that wound has been torn open yeah it's funny you say it because um this short really short story when when obama was like the first time i it was my strange life I was a farm and ag insurance specialist. <laughs> I was in Bismarck, North Dakota, dead of winter, deer, uh, deer season, running a conference. I was the only person of color in the whole city. Um, and I was running this conference for farmers and hunters. And he got, he got elected. And right behind me were a bunch of the uh, goers of the, of the conference, who were all white, who said words I will not repeat. That N word was, you know, made. I can't believe this is that the country's going to hell. All this in front of me. Mm. And I run the conference. And I have to smile at them the next day and, and, and register them for the conference. Mm. That was a weird dichotomy for me. I'm sitting there crying, going, I'm black and I thought I see this in my life. I'm calling my 81 year old stepfather. He's like, who was picking cotton when he was a kid. Like, we're all crying together. Meanwhile, right behind me, people who paid money, who are paying money for me to live, are saying the nastiest things about him right behind me. That's a very interesting thing for me to go through that night. It was a very, and also probably went through. It was another story, tip of the gay thing. That's another story. Um, but it was just weird having that juxtaposition of like, those elements and like having to being torn in so many different yeah, directions and emotionally. At the same time, it's like it was so bizarre. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. But I, but but deep down, like I said, it just it's always been there. That's not that's the surprise. I think I think we're all being surprised these days because it's so blatant now. It was all bubbling under the surface. It was happening. Mm-hmm. We all saw things that were happening. Mm-hmm. I see. I, I again. I come from a multicultural family, so I have white cousins. I had a white grandfather and other stuff. So it's kind of funny for me. I went to Cleveland, Ohio, one time with my white cousins. I was there visiting them. I loved them all very much. And there was like maybe ten of them, and they could understand why the Cleveland Indians Wahoo symbol was offensive. If you know what, if you know what that is, look it up. Just type in Wahoo Cleveland Indians. You'll see what it is. And I was trying to explain to them. But I realized they're white, homogenized, in their bubble. They've never anything about race ever. And then I, I, to my case, I don't believe they're racist. I really don't think they're racist. They just never, like you said earlier, had to think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I changed one cousin's mind. Cousin Kim. One cousin. <laughs> and that to me, I felt proud of that, actually. That- because, James, I, now yeah. that you said that, I totally get what you're saying. But everybody else was like, we're paying homage to them. Well, the exaggerated red lips and the red skin and the mm-hmm. feather. I mean, it's a little, that's not really, if they're telling, and my thing was, if they're telling you it's offensive. Right. You can't tell them it isn't. They told yeah. me, their answer, for, their end answer for me was, you're not from Cleveland, so you don't understand. Mm. So that's, but, but that to me says a lot. That to yeah. me says a lot. Like it's just we have to do this unconditioning. Well, people will do will do whatever mental gymnastics they have to to yes. not feel like a bad person. Yes, exactly. Because nobody nobody thinks of themselves as a bad person, of course. And a lot of these people aren't bad people. But I think obviously when somebody gets it into their head, like we all we all know, even if even if someone is virulently racist, we all know that on paper yes. racism is bad. Yes. So anytime that we feel accused of uh, a racial inclination, whatever, like our mind, I feel like rejects it completely. It's like, no, that's not who I am. We just re- reject it so completely. Instead of going, okay, I'm I'm listening. Okay, hmm. Well, maybe there's something to that. <laughs> And I think it's it comes down to it's empathy again. It comes down it's to empathy. empathy. Yep. And yes. it's about just like 
somebody if somebody's telling you that they're <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> yes. or they're in uh, to an extreme degree if they're in pain yes. if they what whatever just just listen nobody's right. saying nobody's saying it's your fault right just just hear them because there's probably something there because there's nothing we're having so many of these conversations now so hopefully <laughs> people all, will yeah. start to piece these yes. things together for themselves there's there's literally nothing 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 to gain by speaking out against uh, you personally or people around you being victimized if it's not happening. Well, there's, yeah. there's no there's no reason there's no reason to make it, if it's if we're talking about a piece of iconography being offensive uh, on on racial grounds. There's no there's no there's nothing you will gain nothing from from really uh, perpetuating that conversation unless that is the case. Well, I'll say, I always say this is going back to your, your original question. My uh, my end statement always is: we will never progress further until the other person accepts there's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just the end. Of, I could, I could, so you can insert whatever in the sentence uh, if it's if it's being Jewish or black or Arab or Muslim. It doesn't matter until the people who are not liking or people who are the oppressors, so to speak. I may not use that word so much, but the oppressors. Until they realize they have privilege, mm-hmm. yeah, nothing will change. Right. Yeah. Can uh, do you think it would work if every time someone offended me or did something offensive, I stabbed them, and then was like, "This is how you make me feel on the inside." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I you think, think yes. that would. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. so. Make sure it's it's sharp and pointy, like well, really pointy. Oh no, it's gotta be. Yeah, it must be real pointy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I guess the question of whether it would work would depend greatly on what your goals are <laughs> specifically. My goal is to get them to empathize with me. <laughs> yeah. They'll definitely feel some pain. It may not be the same pain you're feeling, but they will definitely be feeling pain at the same time you there are. There you go. Great. I mean, that's that's how you get empathy. I'm not sure that's how that's you jumpstart it. It's like the a key. opposite of how empathy in, works. You twist it. I think. And then empathy just gets going. I love it. Sounds so sounds weird. Me. Now a car metaphor? Yeah. Okay. As a certified life coach, I, I co-signed this message. <laughs> Yay. Um, but, there, but there's two things I also want to mention, too, that um, there were two images. Going back to Gil Scott Heron, there were yes. two images that also changed my life. Um, one of the albums that I brought over here to show you guys, uh, Gil Scott Heron uses apes in militant costume. Mm. We were called apes. Of course, everybody knows what Planet of the Apes was all about. If you don't know what it is, I'll just tell you. Uh, it's all, but the whole ape, we were called monkeys and apes. And, and actually, apes are really highly intelligent. Um, but his imagery back then. Wait, sorry, what is wait, his face? Sorry, I didn't even. You, really, you didn't know that? No, was, you never got I, that? I, I really? put it together. I thought everybody got that. Yeah. Okay, okay so in the original, um, not Dawn of the Dead or whatever. You know that whole allegory. Night of Living Dead. Night of Living Dead. You know the allegory about that too. Okay. We did a whole we did a whole show on it. Go back go back into the Missing Out Archives and listen to our Night of the Living Dead episode. Tell your friends. Rate us five stars. Like me on nerves for a second, Tari. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I mean he knows we all know. To be fair, I have never seen the original Planet of the Apes. Really? Oh, we're doing a show on Planet of the Apes at some point. I mean it's a really good I mean it's really good. Yeah. But the whole you'll once you now when you see it you're totally you're gonna totally well, get it. I'm it's sure. very much a specific. Now I would say, have you seen the more recent ones, yes. the Andy Serkis ones? So I think obviously they they 
they continue to run yes, with that, yes, but I also do. feel like they they mesh it with other like yes, he's Caesar's very much like a Moses figure, yes. especially by yes, the end of it too. But yes, 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 very very much. Uh, <laughs> very much yes, the, yes. the allegory is very present. Once you know to look for it, it's like oh yes, how is it possible? I didn't piece this together. <laughs> all those black folks like we all got it. Like we all, my father told me about it. But they, we all got it. It was very much like oh okay great, um, but. <laughs> But Gil Scott Heron uses that image, uses that, but for him to use that imagery, almost like taking it back and putting them in militant costume and saying that we're, we're going to show you in, in print, this is how you're viewing us, but we're going to show you, we're going to turn it on its ear a little bit. Um, that and also, um, I'm actually going to say the word because it is the title of the album. Uh, Richard Pryor, who's another, another person I'm, just, I mean, he's another icon, um, that nigger's crazy. Mm-hmm. I have that album. I have it on my wall, actually. And people walk in and they gasp when they see it. And I said, no, it's it's really, it's, first of all, it's a great album, a great it's, comedy it's album. It's pretty great. It's really mm-hmm. good. But for me, why I have it on my wall is because it was a top five pop album. Like it won a Grammy or something. It was, it was like, it was a huge hit with that title. Yeah. And there's no, and the artwork's not even crazy. Just him on the cover doing like some smile or whatever. He's just like sitting there. Yeah. yeah. And it's called That Nigger's Crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's just like to me those two images made me go, hmm, art can really like actual art too can actually visual art can actually make an impression also mm-hmm. and change and change the world. People bought those albums with that imagery on it. Yeah, there was no digital singles or any kind. Of, people had to go to the store and pick it out of the shelving and go up to the counter and buy it. Yeah. And both sold really well. I feel like you'd mm-hmm. never get that released with that title now. No, now you can't. No way. Please. Well, what if they've got in trouble? Um, Nas years ago got in trouble for having the uh, nigger in one of his titles, and of course Jay Z and um, Kanye with niggas in Paris. That's yeah, right. they couldn't. They had to be N words in Paris. Like or it's just Paris. But that's, Paris. that's yeah. something else that we've talked about. I think a couple of times about how quickly uh, the accepted norms yes. change. Like how, what you can get away with one year versus. Oh and, yeah. And, Probably a couple of times now, uh, I brought up Tropic Thunder as an example. I of this. love that movie. I, I think that's a I, great movie. I thought Robert Downey Jr.'s performance was amazing. But, right, I think he does incredible work. But a movie t- ten years ago, not even ten years ago, a movie came out for which Robert Downey Jr. got an Academy Award nomination for doing blackface. I know. Well, that, I know. And again, he does spectacular but work. But I really like so, that movie. But it was so weird the way he did it, though. I don't know any black person who was really offended. That's yeah. That's right. what's so crazy. But you'd never get that. Movie oh, made no, out. no, no. That even just the. the Hair under a decade later, that movie never happens. There is an episode which was really brilliantly done of Designing Women. I don't know if anybody knows Designing Women, uh, where Suzanne, who's the princess of the group, wants to do the Supremes in blackface. And they're like, we can't do it in blackface. They're just sitting in Atlanta, and, they're, and, they have the, and, and her sister, who was a very militant feminist, and everything, was like, we can't do it in blackface. I mean, <laughs> but she shows up in blackface. It's a really funny, poignant moment about race and how there's some things you can appreciate the Supremes. Because they were like, the, they were the girls. They were the elegant girls for mm-hmm. everybody. But how do you do blackface? And uh, what was successful? It's, it's a great, you guys, it's, a, it's on YouTube. It's a great episode and it's a lot of fun. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those weird things. But Gil Scott Heron's imagery, using those things and using the moon as part of his imagery. Because uh, the moon was, back then the moon was, everybody was fascinated with the moon back in the 70s. Because <laughs> I mean, my mother said when um, I was two months old, she watched the landing on the moon with me in her arms. So it's kind of funny. I was born right before the landing moon, so it was a big deal to go outside of the Earth. And the 70s, the moon was also another symbol in the 70s for a lot of stuff, like look to the moon for 
uprising or looked. I, mean, I, don't, I was just really crazy, right? That, like that the, imagery the was like celestial energy, yeah, and like that was very that was very seventies too. Yeah, the up with people <laughs> and the est movement. There was a, there was a lot of the Hare Krishnas. I remember seeing them at the LAX airport all the time. We used to fly out and they all we would like hang out flowers. When I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think of airplane, of course, the scene where he's beating them up. I mean, that's just a whole other story. Another story, but um, but 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 Gil Scott's imagery in those on those Brian Jackson albums, along with the stuff that he's saying, what they're saying together, was like it just taught me a lot mm-hmm. about marketing and about how what you put out there it can still sell if it if it has a really good message um, and what people are willing to buy at any given time. Yeah, taught me uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. No, so it just taught me a lot. Is it? I'm not I'm done. No. Oh. My time. <laughs> we claim my time. We claim my time. We claim my time. Yes. Do you feel like there is a good community for sharing like spoken word and poems and things of that sort here in LA? Yeah, it's, 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 it's actually, it's been a long time tradition here. Um, there are places like... Um, Crave North Hollywood has a something sometimes has a night. Uh, in Lamar Park, there's a whole every Wednesday there is a three hour kind of seminar open mic session where you can talk about anything. You write your work there, you work together as a community. Um, it could be spoken word or short story, song, whatever. And you can ask the Aratani, which is a, 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 one of the hubs in Lamar Park. Um, there are places nowadays doing more and more spoken word. There's a lot of open mic stuff for comedians. In this town, it's a ton for me. Mm, oh yeah, of course. I'm hoping to change that. Actually, I want to start producing some shows. Uh, I'm in talks with a show with a place called Soul Hollywood. We'll give them a shout out. Soul Hollywood is a restaurant in Hollywood to Soul Food, um, and they actually have performers there. And I might be performing there. My first ever show uh, in February. So keep, I'll keep you guys all in on that. But yeah, I want to bring spoken word to because I do spoken word because I also have you know music outs. I have I have singles out, and it's me doing spoken word over music again. Gil Scott Heron um, influenced me on that. Uh, my song "I'm Ready," which was my first song, was a kind of a minor hit, and I want to start changing people's perceptions in LA that it's this spoken word is this like angry. My life is horrible. Let me tell you about it. For some people, that is that. Mm. Um, but there's a show called Hustle and Flow, which was on BT for years. Uh, Omari Hardwick was a person who's, who's another person who I admire. Um, they would have spoken word, and then somebody would sing. Um, and that was based out of LA. So LA is, it's, it's medium. There's a small community here, but I'm trying, I want to, I want to help change that. When you go to New York though, it's huge. Yeah, um, yeah. The New York Ricans Poet Society and Cafe, which is in lower Manhattan in Alphabet City, been there many times. Um, tiny, the tiny, the space is as big as this table and it's packed every night. And it's not just Puerto Ricans or New York Ricans. Uh, which means New York, Puerto Ricans, uh, but also black, white. I mean, just, if you have something to say, you come in, you bring it, and you do, and, it, and it's been brought in. I mean, it's totally like it's just, it's so good, it's so good. But that scene I've seen in New York is very much it's it's much bigger there for some reason. But then again, I feel like well, rap star there. Yeah. I feel like maybe there's some kind of correlation with that. It's harder <laughs> maybe, living, maybe a little, a little well, bit. Yeah, um, New York has been putting out so many revolutionary like different genres of things yes. for decades. Whereas we have in Cal in LA have been like, we're all about the oh, movies. Uh, see, uh, um, that's true. Isn't that funny? <laughs> You're right about that. I never thought that before you just said that because it's funny. Cause in New York, I remember when I was in junior high school, um, 
There's a song called Rapture by Blondie. I don't know if everybody's heard that, of course. <laughs> a big hit. Um, but why was it offensive to black people? Is because back then, art, rap, rock, new wave, punk were all mixing together in New York. Mm-hmm. It was all one big thing. So when she says Fab Five Freddy, who was a big deal in rap, he endorsed the song because she was also friends with, you know, Basquiat, who was this wonderful, may he rest in peace, um, black uh, artist. And I mean, they all were mixed together. The Talking Heads, the, the Blondie, Grandmaster Flash. I mean, they were all like mixed together. It was all in New York. It was yeah. all in New York. I saw my first break dances. I remember it was 1984 and we we're walking down 57th Street, West 57th. And my grandma was like, yeah, these, these kids are there put these like cardboard boxes. And I'm like, wow, it's break dancing. <laughs> it's like 14 years old. Like it's break dancing. And I was all trying to do it myself. I couldn't do it. Um, but it was amazing because we didn't have that in L.A. You're right. In L.A. was – and see, I go home to – I'll come home to L.A. And, I, you know, um, I have a couple of people that are kind of famous or related to me in the industry. I won't say their names. Richard Dreyfuss. Um, and um, – <laughs> but we all knew it was all about the, it was all about TV and movies mm-hmm. out here and acting mm-hmm. or modeling, acting or modeling. It's like you come out here, you want to be an actor, you want to be a model. It's all about – you're right. The music came way later. It yeah. kind of came across the country way later. So you're right about that. I didn't really think about that until you just said that. It's so true. Well, I wonder, too, if that culture facilitates – well, I don't wonder. I do think that culture <laughs> facilitates and frequently, all too frequently, rewards a certain level of narcissism, which maybe goes some distance to explaining why we're not getting so much of the additional, like, really interesting, cutting-edge, revolutionary uh, work like being done in other art forms because – there's amazing work being done in film and television here. And yes, there are brilliant, brilliant artists that live and work here every day that you don't maybe know about. Yeah, I think I think I have a sense of why maybe more more exciting stuff isn't coming out of the minds of some of the Well, people. you know what's so funny you said? Because in, I think in New York, it's just considered, you know, that's also where theater is, like the real theater Broadway. Right. It's like, it's always, New York's always considered, I love New York, it's my favorite city in the world. My mother's from New York, so I love New York. But it's always considered the serious you know, place. If you want to be a real actor, that's just New York. It happens in New York. Where California, oh my God, I just want to be, I want to be on TV and you can be famous. And like, right. there's a whole perception that's so funny about that. Like, New York's where you really, if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. That's that's the song, basically. Yeah. It re- reinforces that thing. But to me, I'm like, if you make it in LA, you can make it anywhere. To me, LA is hard. Mm-hmm. We're all in this business. This business is, now this is my first time I'm going to cuss on it. It's fucking hard. Yeah. I am. I have to be in it to win it. I am all you guys. You guys know me. I'm always doing eight thousand things. Yep. Because that. Because I think L. A. is much harder. Actually, I just, we don't get enough credit. I think it's always like New York, New York, New York. I'm like I love New York, but L. A. It's hard too. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that is because ha- ha- half of it is trying to sell yourself and and trying to get past the people who are just ta- stringing you along. Whereas, like yes. in New York, if you're terrible, you're terrible until yes. you're not. Yes. Yes. I yeah. like that. Yes. Yes, that's very true. It's just, it is it is harsher in some ways there. I mean, just the just the terrain is harsher. I mean, it's like the subways and the and the seasons. I mean, everything. L.A. it's sunny all the half the time, and you know the hair is blowing in the wind, and you know it's it's nice outside. Everything's just everything's just so you know like oh my god, like totally. I mean, that's how we are out here. Yeah. But in New York, it's like grit and just like I gotta, I gotta get to that, get to the audition. I gotta, like it's, it's really serious. Yeah. In some ways. But I mean, I like, I like New York, I like LA. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's just. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I want. I went, I hope the scene gets larger again. But as I said, I've been seeing a resurgence of comedy stuff. I want. I actually, actually, I do comedic um, spoken word also. So I'm actually going to try to infiltrate some of these things and see if I can 
add that into the sets and kind of get that kind of i want to broaden it more i think i think the spoken word has such a great powerful effect i mean people's words really can have a powerful effect in the delivery yeah um so we're we're running short so before did, we go, I did really actually because of what you just said. There was something that I was waiting the whole conversation. I'm like, is there a way I could just organically work this in? That that's it, and I'm doing it in the least <laughs> organic way possible. There, you talked about, but you talked about like the impact of just certain like word choices, yes. right? There was one thing I was listening to. Um, uh, I'm new here, yes. And he does the he does the the tracks that, that come from a broken home that bookend yes. the album. Yes. And in the first one, in the first the part one is uh, about his grandmother, I believe. Yes. yes. And he talks about at the very end of the track. He talks about. Uh, when she passes and there's this transition uh, that he uses like this uh, one of the last one of the very last lines um, and it takes you into the next track which is essentially about him and the devil oh, yes. but uh, but at the very end he's like uh, when she passed uh, they sent her a limousine from heaven to take her to meet God if there is one right. and I loved that because I was like the, the contradiction in that statement because he's not talking about all of this as a hypothetical he's talking about no 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 no. they're sending a limousine from heaven that limousine from heaven is coming it's here I see it there it goes goodbye right that doesn't necessarily mean there's a god right I love that mm-hmm. idea and I can I'm still struggling to like fully articulate why like I was listening to it and I sat back in my seat and I was like oh wow oh, that's great and then and then that leading you directly into a track about essentially about him and and the devil this yes. this uh complete uh what is it the polar opposite mm-hmm. of this hypothetical like uh, a bastion of light that may or may not even exist mm-hmm. and then the instrumentation on that album that takes you uh like out of one more uh more spoken word track into a slightly more musical track mm-hmm. and it's all this very like it's all propulsive, but not, it's a very like mellow, like yes. low key propulsion. Yes. Yes. But that, that line, the contradiction in that line and how I felt a really big internal pivot there mm-hmm. was real cool. Yeah. I just want to like shout that moment out I at like some that. point before that we wrap the show. That makes me so happy. Because that was great. So anyway, as you were. Oh, no, that, that was great. I just wanted to see if I could get you to read another one. Yes, to, I would love to, to hear one out. more. Okay. This one's called I Am. <clears throat> it's another one that was inspired by Gil Scott Heron, actually. That's why I picked these for sure. I, I am. I am a man. I am a black man. I am a black man of substance. I am a black man of substance and worth. I am a black man worthy of all the rights and privileges as any other man. I am a proud man who happens to be black. It shouldn't matter in the big picture. I am a proud man who likes being a man and should be treated as such in the world. I am a man who knows what society may see when they look at him. I am a man of principles who is proud of his rich heritage. I am a black man of principles. I am a black man. I am a man. I am. Nice. I like it. That's going to be in my new mantra. <laughs> we both your new mantras. You're a black man to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just have it like tattooed up and down your arms. <laughs> and, just, and like whenever you get, greet somebody, make a big show of stretching your arms out for a hug. Yeah. And then and like real quick, like, su- like subtly but not subtly at all as you move towards them, arms outstretched, just real like look to your, your left, look to your right. Like, uh-huh. You see? You see? Okay. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh. It's, it's so good. I, I'm not even lying. If, if I could like start every morning and be like, hell yeah, 
I'm a, I am, motherfucker. Yes, yes. Um, I am. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, from, seriously, it's one of those things I've, he made, he made me feel like it's proud to be black, to be black, but yeah. also be a black man. We have our own set of things. Black women have their things. Black men have, have a separate thing yeah. that we, that society, and even black women put on us too, or that all women put on us, and, and other men put on us. We yeah. have our own, our own thing. So that, that's what came out of that. Nice. Um, well, thank you for joining us. It's yeah, been a thank, thank you. you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I'm just really, I'm very excited that you guys got to really experience some of his stuff, and that it's a new things. It's kind of new for you guys. I like guess it's, it's very exciting to me. Oh yeah, no, I, I just, uh, I just uh, over this holiday, I got a record player for the first time. Oh my god! I'm, oh no, I'm hunting down a couple of these albums now. <gasps> oh, like, oh no, without question, oh. I'm hunting down a couple of these albums. Yeah, I think you really enjoy them. I think, I mean, they're just, they're just very interesting stuff. The music is good. Just the words are really good. Yeah. To anybody out there, check out Gil Scott Heron. He's no longer with the same much, no more new music. Um, there's a documentary he has out too called Nothing New. I believe that's what it's called. It's a documentary, and it's really good. Nice. Um, where can the people find you? Folks, you can find, I feel like I'm on my thing. You can find <laughs> me at James Law Jr. all over the, the social media platforms where you can find James Law Jr. Seriously, everywhere it's James Law Jr. That's on any social media platform. And my YouTube channel is also James Law Jr. So, go there. Nice. Is that lot with two T's? Of course it is, because yeah. I'm that special. <laughs> well, actually, we're Dutch, so I've got two lots, two T's. Um, dope. What about you, Lex? I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. That's uh, with one T. In the in the the. In the, in the, the, the uh, mm. You can find me at Tari J, also with one T. <laughs> Um, and you can find us uh, at Missing Outcast. That's M I S S I N G O U T C A S T with two T's. Um, and you can also. Oh, but the two T's aren't next to each other. No, no, no. They're That's just, important. They yeah. just exist. There are two T's in the entire handle. Right. Not, they're not adjacent. <laughs> no, not adjacent, at all. Yes. Um, There's one T in adjacent. <laughs> and you there can sure also is. find us on iTunes, in Google Play Store, Stitcher. Podbean, okay. all the places where you want to get your sweet, sweet podcasts. Um, <laughs> thanks. What about what about the one guy who's desperate to get his podcast at Denny's? Ooh, Denny's. well, the internet is literally everywhere. It we're sure gonna is. we're gonna partner uh, on the list. We got now what almond milk uh, pudding balloons, and we're gonna partner with Denny's, and okay. you'll be able to go in and order a grand slam and the newest episode of Missing Out. Bro, you and they'll heard? bring you they'll bring you a speaker that oh you can put a Bluetooth speaker God. you can put on your table while you eat, and you can annoy the people at the next table who don't care. That's they don't want to hear idea. our name garbage at all. I'm gonna uh-huh. get my pen and paper, write that down. That's a great <laughs> idea. I love that idea. Uh, Denny's didn't sponsor me to say this, but you can also just get Denny's at your home. They deliver now. They, they do. do. And then they you, can listen, so you can listen to us while you... But you can also wear your headphones into a Denny's and listen to... Point being, you can really... You can hear our show wherever you are, provided you have a device. Pretty much. And headphones. Or a friend. Yeah. If you don't have a device, make a friend, make a friend. <laughs> and you can bond over this show. Tell your friends about this show yes. so that when you lose your yeah. phone, you can listen to it on theirs. Tell your enemies I was hoping about that you show. were going to say, make a friend so that that friend can relay everything that we say in each oh, episode. Do it as a monologue. Or transcribe them for Transcri- you. Oh, transcribe. Yes. Oh, my God. That's, That's what friends like, are for. But like, even tell your enemies about it, because for oh, all you know, your enemy will go home and like in the, in the middle of the night while they're cursing your name, Mike fine they'll hit the link to play the episode and by the next morning you will have made an ally for life that's true yeah I like that. Uh, share this with your friends 
If you like it, if you don't like it, share it with your enemies. Um, just <laughs> with your counselor, I don't know. <laughs> therapist, life share coach. It. Just come share on, it. guys. Share this. Um, and while you're doing that, uh, go on iTunes and leave us a leave us a comment. <laughs> we read them here on the show. Um, but I, we hope you guys have had a great uh, New Year's. This will be the day after New Year's, so it'll be 2018 by the time Woo-hoo! you hear this. Um, and thank you again for listening. And thank you once more, James Lott, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Bye.